All right, I'm reading from Romans 16, beginning at the first verse. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sincre, so that you may welcome her in the Lord, as is fitting for the saints, and help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet, greet Priscilla and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponitas, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who's worked very hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my relative Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord at Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who's worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, <laughs> and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Anybody here just get tingles all over them as I was reading that text? <laughs> one person. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a list of names. <laughs> we uh, choose our sermon topics in June for the entire year. So last June, we picked this text. And I have to admit to you that I wondered why in the world we picked that text as I was preparing this sermon this week. It's, it's a list of names. It's a list of names. Uh, sometimes that can be really boring. I was reminded this week of... of uh, sitting in graduation at North High School three times, one for each of our children. And the third time I sat through graduation with our youngest, I had been in a treatment that was actually quite severe treatment for a year for hepatitis C. And one of the side effects of the treatment that I'd been going through was I, I had a migraine and really honestly couldn't leave the house for, I'd probably been homebound for three months before graduation, but I was determined that I was going to make it to his graduation. And we get there, and they start the list. All the way through the A's, alphabetically, then the B's, and then the C's, and my head is pounding, and it feels like there's 10,000 names. There weren't. There were probably 500 names. We get to the M's, and it's such and such Martinez, such and such Martinez, such and much Martinez. Such and, there must have been a million of them. We go the N's and the O's and so on and so on. We get to the S's, and it's so-and-so Smith, so-and-so Smith, so-and-so Smith. There's a million of them. 
It's just the most boring list until it's my child or some of his friends that I love. I think some of the other families that were sitting around me felt the same way about their own because if it was their child or cousin or brother or whatever, they blew these really, really loud foghorns and cheered loudly in my brain. Because it wasn't just a list at that point, right? Somebody they loved and they knew. Years ago, Fred Craddock preached a sermon on this passage of Scripture. And over and over again in his sermon, he said, Don't call it a list. Don't call it a list. Because to Paul, who wrote this, these were people that he loved. These were people that he had worked alongside. He, these were people with not just names, but he, he could tell you how they'd been with him in ministry. It's really... Um, it's really a great passage of scripture because it gives us a glimpse of what happens when the Holy Spirit is moving in his church and when people in his church are yielding themselves to the work of the Holy Spirit within them. I want you to notice three things. I want you to, to note the diversity. I want you to, to note the warmth of the relationships that they have. And I want you to note the, the way they are bound together because of this common mission that they've shared. So first, um, the diversity. The, the list starts with the name Phoebe, our sister Phoebe. She's not Roman. This, the church he's writing to is in Rome, but she's actually from Sincre, which is... Um, kind of on the edge of Corinth, and that's where Paul is when he's writing this letter. He calls her a deacon, and scholar David Scholler, who's done tons of work on women in the Bible and roles that women played, Scholler notes that nearly every time that the Apostle Paul uses the word deacon, he's using it in, in relation to a servant or a minister in, of, of the gospel. So we know she's a leader, She's a benefactor, so we know that she's wealthy and that she's very generous with her wealth. And because her name is mentioned at the first of all of these greetings, and, um, and he's actually commending her to the church at Rome, most probably she hand-carried this letter that he wrote to the Roman Christians. She carried it from him in Corinth and gave it to the Christians in the Roman church. There's probably... Uh, Actually, at this point, the way the list is divided up, there's probably five house churches, because that's how they met in those days. Um, and so the church has grown in, in Rome, and, and Paul doesn't, he's never been to Rome. He doesn't, uh, he hasn't been in their setting, but he knows many of these people personally because he's worked alongside of them. Phoebe's the first. And then there's Priscilla and Aquila. They're people who... Um, we find in other places in Paul's letters. 
They're a ministry couple. They're known for the way they come alongside people, for the way they influence people. And they started a house church in Ephesus, and they started one in Rome. It's just very interesting. There's 29 names that I just read to you. A third of them are women. And Paul includes them among his fellow co-workers, alongside the men. Just, we worked together. Not hierarchically, we just worked together. We're co-workers. One of them is named Junia. Junia, he calls an apostle, which means that she and her husband, along with her, were uh, there and saw the risen Lord. Actually, Paul says before he became a a Christian, they were. This became very controversial in the Middle Ages, so controversial, actually, that the translators changed the female name to a male name. Some of your Bibles may say Junius. Yep, I see some nods. Um, That's actually uh, a change they made in the Middle Ages because, after all, women could not possibly be apostles, right? But... Paul and the early church had a general uh, use for that term apostle. Um, it wasn't just the 12 and Paul, but when they used it in general, they, they used it of other people, and that included women. We learn an, um, some other things about these names. We, we learn how diverse the church is. There's There are Greek names in the list. There are um, Jewish names in the list. There are Latin names in the list. There are names that were very commonly used for slaves at that time. Slaves in the New Testament um, are not like slaves that we used to have in the U.S. They're more like household servants. But they were definitely on the lower end of the social scale, for sure. There are slaves' names, but then there are names of ruling class and nobility on this list. So what we get is this glimpse of this incredible thing that the Holy Spirit actually did when when the Spirit broke into the church on Pentecost and broke down the barriers that were between people, men and women and different social and cultural classes, people who would have never, ever, ever been together before around the same table, let alone in the same church family, those, those walls broken down. It's a beautiful example of something that the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit is at work and people are willing for the Holy Spirit to be at work. It's really an awesome thing when you think of the diversity of the church, when you think of the way that the Spirit takes what happens in people's lives and, does the, and makes possible that which is impossible. I, do any of you listen to the podcast Invisibilia? Yeah, several. Yeah. So you may have heard this story then. This is an episode... A while back, um, uh, there was a group of eight people that were at a backyard dinner party in the Washington, D.C. area. And um, uh, the main guy that tells the story is a guy by the name of Michael Rabdow. He was there along with his wife and 14-year-old daughter, 
and they were part of this just wonderful evening. He described the time as one of those great evenings with lots of food and good French wine, and it was a magical night, he says. The meal's over, the dessert is over, and they're just hanging out, lingering, talking to each other. And that's when the magical night took a different turn. Michael, who was standing beside his wife, saw a hand with the barrel of a gun come between them. The gun belonged to a man, medium in height, wearing designer sweats, and a stranger to them all. He raised his gun first toward Michael's friend Christina, and then he turned the gun on Michael's wife. He said, give me your money. He kept repeating it over and over and over again, harsh and angry. Give me your money. The man was not joking around. His gun was the first problem. The second was his demand. There wasn't one person at the dinner party that had any money. Right? Who carries money? So they couldn't give what he was asking him. They started grasping for some way to dissuade him. Started with guilt. What would your mother think of you, one person said. I don't have a mother. Give me your money. There was panic in the room when suddenly Christina spoke up and she said, You know, we're celebrating. Why don't you have a glass of wine? The look on the man's face changed, and he took a sip of wine. It's a really good glass of wine. Then he reached for the cheese, and as he did so, he put his gun in his pocket. He drank his glass of wine. He ate more cheese. Everyone stood there, frozen for the moment. He said, you know, I think I've come to the wrong place. Everyone said things like, oh, yeah, I understand. Of course, these kinds of things happen all the time. <laughs> and then he said something no one expected. And I get a hug. It was Michael's wife who had the gun pointed at her just minutes earlier who gave him a hug. And then another person from the dinner party. And after those hugs, he said, could we have a group hug? And everyone got up and formed a circle around him. And Michael says the experience was beyond strange. When the group hug finished, he said, I'm sorry. And he walked out the front gate with a glass of wine in his hand. Friends, that's the kind of thing that the Holy Spirit does. Breaks down fear and violence and leads toward apology and connection. When the Holy Spirit is at work in community, he leads very diverse people. People who would never, under other circumstances, be in the same place at the same time to take bread and, and drink wine 
in this holy thing we call communion. People who were once isolated from each other.